0: The lectionary that we follow for preaching gives us a very familiar text. It is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Today, we're going to hear it from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Hear now the word of God. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together And one of them, an expert in the law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, through these familiar words of Scripture. Move through this place, engage our minds, penetrate our hearts, and fill us with a love that transforms our very being. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In Jesus Christ's Superstar, Mary Magdalene sings, I don't know how to love him. Good news. In our scripture passage today, Jesus tells us exactly how to love him. Are you ready? Love your neighbor. Most of us are quite familiar with this scripture passage since our mission statement is to love God and love neighbor. The Pharisees who were trying to trap Jesus were also quite familiar with this passage. God bless those Pharisees who I think started out with good intentions. They were God-fearing men who invested their whole life in studying the law. They were trying to give structure and shape to a group of people who were prone to wander. But it seems as if the experts in the law were the ones who lost their way. They were tireless enforcers of over 600 laws. With the loving presence of Jesus, who always chose people over law, the Pharisees determined that it was either him or them they couldn't conceive of a world where they could coexist Jesus represented too much change too much nuance in their binary world they saw things very clearly as black or white right or wrong us or them so the leaders of the law kept setting traps for Jesus so they could get rid of him once and for all The question the Pharisees asked seemed harmless. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? But it really was a trap. If they could trick Jesus into picking a favorite commandment, he'd be guilty of heresy. Since every commandment represents the very word of God, mere humans cannot presume to evaluate divine law. When Jesus doesn't take the easy answer by saying something like, each commandment is my favorite, they think they've got him. But then, in a moment of sheer brilliance, Jesus begins by quoting the single most famous verse for Jewish people then and now. Deuteronomy 6.4 is called the Shema, which in Hebrew is hear or listen When it comes to that verse, it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Every Jewish child and adult, beginning at the beginning and end of each day, traditionally recited the Shema. In fact, I saw a contemporary version of it in the Shabbat service book at Temple Sinai when we worshiped with our brothers and sisters on October 20th, and I wanna share it with you. One word that they use that we might be unfamiliar with is mitzvah, which commonly is understood as good deeds. So this is based on Deuteronomy 6, verses four through nine. Love your God with every heartbeat, with every breath, with every conscious act. Keep in mind the words I command you today. Teach them to your children. Talk about them at work, whether you are tired or you are rested. Let them guide the work of your hands. Keep them in the forefront of your vision. Do not leave them at the doorway of your house or outside your gate. They are reminders to do all my mitzvah. So that you can be holy for God. I am Adonai, your God. I led you out of Egypt to become your God. I am Adonai, your God. Isn't that beautiful? Love your God with every heartbeat, with every breath. And then from that love, we are motivated, inspired, and empowered to do mitzvah or good deeds. I wonder if a mitzvah might be like the barista at a Starbucks in Corpus Christi, Texas, who noticed an older man whose behavior might make some uneasy, especially when he began talking to a teenage girl. The barista walked over to the table and handed the young woman a hot chocolate that someone had forgotten to pick up. That's so nice, right? But on the cup, he had written these words, Are you okay? Do you want us to intervene? If you do, take the lid off of the cup." By choosing a passage that is core to the Jewish faith, we can imagine that Jesus has their attention. And even though they only asked for one commandment, feeling generous, Jesus offers a BOGO, buy one, get one free. He says that the second commandment is like the first not similar, but of equal importance and inseparable from the first. To love God is to love one's neighbor and vice versa. Between these two loves, Jesus manages to catch every single commandment you could ever name, for they all have something to do with either loving God or neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. It just rolls off of the tongue. Sounds simple. In fact, I see it as a three-legged stool. Our life is the seat, and we need all three legs to have a solid foundation. Again, sounds simple. But I wonder why it's not so easy. I don't think our American culture is particularly helpful with these commandments. In the United States, we value capitalism and competitiveness. I'll never forget the story I heard at the youth conference in Montreat one summer. An anthropologist was doing some research in Africa, and he gathered a bunch of kids from the village, and he showed them this big basket of candy that he said he would give to the winner of a foot race. They were so excited. He called them all to the starting line and told them, whoever finishes first is going to win this beautiful basket of candy. On your mark, get set, go! You know I would be running like the wind to get to that finish line. And these kids ran fast too, but there was one difference. They all joined hands as they were running so they could cross the finish line at the same time. The underlying ethos was this. What joy would I have if I got all the candy and my friends had none? Which culture do you think would have an easier time loving neighbor? We have also been influenced by our John Wayne rugged individualism and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. This has prevented us at times from receiving neighborly love because we don't want anyone to see our need. And then sometimes you just can't hide it. When Ginny Rometty was 16 years old, she heard the fight that her mom and dad had just before her dad left them. Her dad said to her mom these words that were seared into her soul, I don't care what happens to you or to them. And then he got in his car and he drove away. The them he was talking about were his four children. Ginny's mom, with her high school education, struggled greatly to provide for her family of five, a house with no carpet, only plywood on the floor, a yard with only weeds, no grass, and never quite enough money for en- to make ends meet. With aptitude and access, like mentors and scholarships, Ginny was able to go to Northwestern University. She graduated and went on to spend 40 years at IBM, eventually becoming the president and CEO in 2012. When Ginny's book was published, she sent it to her next-door neighbors to thank them for all they had done for her family when she was a kid. And you know what they said? Oh, please, we just did what anybody would do. How did they love neighbor? They hired Ginny to babysit when they probably didn't need a babysitter, but that gave the family a little extra money. When Ginny's sister came home from school and no one was there, they had her come to their house. They offered their lawnmower to be borrowed any by Ginny's family. And maybe even more important, they never once complained about all the weeds in their neighbor's yard. They loved their actual neighbor in those little silent ways that said yes, You belong, and we are here to help in the small ways that we can. In recent years, we have been so busy that we scarcely notice our actual neighbors, let alone the neighbor who is a stranger or, God forbid, the enemy. In addition to our family, we prefer to think our neighbor includes only our tribe, those who think, look, vote, and act just like us. It's just so much easier that way. When it comes to the leg in our stool of loving self, again, our culture has a warped view. Self-care is a $1.5 trillion industry. This industry has sold us the idea that self-care is anything that brings us joy. And if it makes us happy, then it's worth whatever price we have to pay, whether with time or money. Finally, there's loving God or Yahweh. When Moses met God at the burning bush, he asked God for his name so he could tell the Israelites who had sent him. God replied, I am who I am. In Hebrew, the word for Lord, when spelled with capital letters, is YHWH. i I'd like to buy a vowel so I can actually say this word. Yahweh. But that was the point. The name of God was so sacred to the ancient Israelites that it was only spoken aloud one time per year by the high priest. Today, we frequently hear the Lord's name taken in vain. And in our 160 hours per week, many of us have managed to corral God into one hour, and we're the ones in church. So I want you to imagine that you're sitting on your three legged stool love God, love neighbor, love self. How does it feel? Are you secure? You have a solid foundation? Or is your stool a little wobbly? I think we can feel fairly stable when we're at church. Our sense of self has been right-sized to our identity in Christ. We are a beloved, forgiven child of God. We are singing God's praises and being darn friendly to our neighbors, unless, of course, they're sitting in our seat. Just kidding. Our stool can feel solid when we are a loving neighbor through volunteering at the food pantry or tutoring a child or building a habitat house. Likewise, our stool is steady when we're watching the devotions, attending a small group, singing in choir, or going to Wednesday Night Life. And that is good. But how are we doing the other hours of our lives? those hours when we're in our neighborhoods, or at work, or on the golf course, or at the grocery store, or caught in traffic. You know how we have so many distracted drivers today? Imagine you're sitting at a red light, and the car in front of you is plastered with bumper stickers of the other persuasion. Both are on the screen, so you get to focus on the one that frustrates you the most. You got it? The light turns green, and Mr. Distracted Driver, who is probably scrolling through his phone, doesn't move. He just sits there. How well is your stool holding you up now? Are you lovingly giving this neighbor the benefit of the doubt? Or are you thinking other things in your head? If you're like me, the love neighbor leg is feeling a little shaky. And that's just one small example of the kind of people who can be harder to love. Maybe it's that ungrateful homeless person, or the bigoted neighbor, or the narcissistic uncle. The list goes on and on. I may need to read over Jesus' command again, but I don't think there's an exception clause. I didn't see a little asterisk with a footnote that gives us a list of all the people we don't have to love. Which brings me to the greatest leg of the stool, love God. I believe the only way we can love neighbor and self outside of church activities is by loving God and receiving God's love. What, Je- what Jesus commands us to do is impossible without the love of God in our being. Love is not an emotion or an obligation, but is God present in our soul. When we love others with warmth, affection, and care, it is God loving them through us. Allowing the love of God to penetrate and reside in our hearts will transform our lives, and it happens one breath at a time. Chris Lacey wrote that scholars and rabbis say the letters Y-H-W-H represent breathing sounds or aspirated consonants. When pronounced without vowels, it sounds like breathing. The inhale sounds like Y-H. The exhale sounds like W-H. Which means a baby's first cry, their first breath, speaks the name of God. When there are no words, a deep sigh or groan calls God's name. A person leaves this earth with their last breath when God's name no longer fills their lungs. Being alive means we speak God's name often. Perhaps it is heard the loudest when we are the quietest. In sadness, we breathe heavy sighs. In joy, our lungs feel like they will burst. In fear, we hold our breath and we breathe slowly to help calm us down. When we're about to do something hard, we take a deep breath to find our courage. Breathing gives God praise, even in the most challenging moments, whether awake or asleep, God chose a name that we can't help but to speak every moment we are alive. Now, we may need to give some intention to our breath, so we are aware that the love of God is in every breath we take, allowing the love of neighbor and self to naturally flow. There was a man who saw a snake burning in a fire, so he reached in to rescue it. As he pulled the snake out of the fire, it bit him, and he dropped the snake immediately. He then went to get a big long stick, and he pulled the snake out of the fire, and he set it over off to the side. A person who who had observed this asked the man why he would save a snake that bit him. The man replied, the nature of the snake is to bite. But that's not going to change who I am. My nature is to love.